dad to the bone where two dads sit around, talk about dad stuff, and wonder things like breakfast. Like, what's for breakfast? What up, Sam? You ever think about like breakfast at dinner time? That's like one of my favorite topics. I don't know why I get excited about it, but um, you know, I just like love to have a breakfast, uh, lunch, dinner combo at dinner. Like I think about my Captain Crunch, which is my fave, and my Fruity Pebbles. Am I the only one with these fantasies? So, so now that I'm like pretending like I'm in, a, in living in adult land, I don't really do that as much. Um, I know in high school, I, I know there were years, at least months, where cereal was literally the only thing I ate. You know? <laughs> I'd have like half a box of uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch before school, yes. and then like half a box after school, and then like another box of like Lucky Charms before dinner, and then my whole box. Something nasty, and I need a little bit more uh, <laughs> cereal before bed. You know, like cereal was the only thing I ate. Did you? So I remember in Friday the scene where, like, you ever seen the movie Friday? Oh yeah, Ice Cube, where he broke out like the biggest bowl of Tupperware and he poured the whole bowl in. Like I remember in that moment, I connected with him because I remember always wanting to do that as a child. And so and now I did that as a child. You so you listen uh, now. I just have these bowls. They're supposed to be salad bowls, but spoiler alert: it's not salad in there. It's fruity okay. pebbles. So okay. yeah, I do it from time to time. Let me ask you this question though: what? hot breakfast? Is this a thing? Like hot breakfast? What, what does that mean to you when I say hot breakfast? Okay, so in my household, it's a little different. I think we. I mean, maybe it's not a little different. Who knows? I know at my kids' school, I hear the other parents talking about making hot breakfast for their kids all the time. And I'm like, is that a thing? I'm like, is that, a th is that even reality? I mean, okay. So I, I got, I got six kids, man. And we got to be out the door by seven 15 in the morning. Yeah. There is no way I'm waking up at like five o'clock in the morning to make hot breakfast. Hot oh. breakfast for us consists of, yo, go in the freezer, yeah. grab that Eggo waffle, yeah. drop it in the toaster, pull yeah. it out. Here's yeah. yeah. your hot breakfast. No, I'm thinking of a pop tart. That's what I was thinking. I was like, Oh my God, listen, when my mom brought home toaster strudels, yeah, you could not tell me we were not balling. Right. She brought it home and she was like, it's not a Pop-Tart, it's a toaster strudel. And I threw that bad boy in. I was like, it's not a Pop-Tart, though. And you get the little, like, glazed. Yeah, you drizzled it yourself, right? Man, I, I thought that. I was like, this is this is when I know that we made it. This no, listen, my mom, would get, my mom would buy the toaster strudels. And my brother, who's three years younger than me, would take the they come in like little like frosting packets. Yeah. One per to no. He would take make one toaster strudel, take all the frosting packets and put it on one. And then it's wrecked. Like who wants a dry toaster strudel? Nobody. No, that's that's when you get mad because somebody like yeah. broke one on accident. I'll tell you what though, I have to keep it real. I know sometimes like we always talk about the charm, but I'm I'm gonna talk about the struggle, man. When I was growing up, sometimes I used to get um and now I guess it's gourmet, but I used to get government for Reno. So, and I know we talked about it, but have you heard of, of Farina before? No, no. Oh, I let me know. describe it for you. It's a lovely black and white box, and it literally just says in black bold letters, Farina. And what, <laughs> what is Farina? Is that like porridge or something? Yeah, it's cream of wheat. But it was back, I'm an 80s baby, so back then, that's what you got. And so, you get the peanut butter, and it said peanut butter. Now, I do remember cheese. that. Yeah. Like if you go into like the WIC office and they give you the food vouchers, you go to the grocery store and it's like, you got to get like the, 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 literally the no name brand one, like only the one with <laughs> peanut butter on it. Yeah. It, it literally might've had the triple X on it and it yeah. might've said warning, do not use this rat poison because. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Or, or um, pick it up on the third and it expires on the fourth and we're like, well, you know. Oh yeah. Well, it's still good. Maybe. You just throw some water in it and then wop wop. There you yeah. go. But I, I digress, man. So, hey, this episode is smack dab in the middle of the glorious and much needed Black History Month. Yes. And I could be not more excited for us to to celebrate Black history, um, to celebrate um, the first female Black uh, vice president of the United States of America. Right. And celebrate those lesser known black history moments. Um, I'm also excited for the fighters and the advocates. Speaking of which, we might have one of those advocates coming on today. Dude, I am so excited about our guest today. Um, we have Trey Little with us. Um, if you don't know who Trey Little is, by the end of this episode, you will know who Trey Little is. Trey is a rapper and producer. He's got like a home studio, goes to the studio. He's always putting out music and putting out content. 
Um, his stuff is is gritty and honest, and he's just a Detroit rapper, right? Like this, his rap and his music and his art embodies Detroit, right? The the vibe and the feeling of Detroit because that's where he's from, and so it's a beautiful thing. Um, and and Trey was heavily involved in the protests, the peaceful protests here in Detroit this past year. And so he was super involved in that. He has uh, become sort of an influencer in our culture and in our generation, in our region. I mean, my man has over 1.2 million followers on TikTok. One, like over a million. Every time I think that, I think of, of um, what, what, Dr. Evil, one million, right? Like over a million followers on TikTok. So my man is banging out content banging out influence, leveraging it for positivity. It's super awesome. Uh, Trey also has a three-year-old son that he calls Jai. His name's Jairus. And uh, he's married, been married for almost six years to Jessica. And so they're an interracial relationship. And so I think he's going to have a lot of insight into our current context. He's going to have a lot of insight into Black History Month and what it means to be a black dad in the midst of all the turmoil of 2020, transitioning into 2021. I mean, I'm I'm just pumped to have him. Me too. Let's just bring him up. Do it. Bring him in. What up, Trey? No, what up, though, Trey? Appreciate that. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. We're super excited to have you here. Um, you know, in Black History Month, we have some things we want to talk about today, and we're just excited to hear your insight, hear your perspective, um, hear a little bit of your story. Why don't you tell a little bit about your story? Tell us a little bit about yourself, so listeners kind of know from what context you're coming from. Yeah. So, um, born and raised Detroit, Michigan. I was brought up in a time that is known as the war on drugs. So it was almost like the aftermath of it, meaning that there was um, massive loads of guns and drugs in the streets and inner cities all across America. And I grew up in Detroit, which was hit by, you know, the war on drugs. So um, growing up in that, both of my grandparents were on drugs and then, you know, they had my mom. So when my mom was 15 years old, she gave birth to me. And then four years later, I lost my dad because of the war on drugs. So then as I got older, um, I started to experience a normal childhood. But then as I got older, I started to see what was going on in my community. You know, every corner I went to, if I walked to the corner store, guys had guns on them and they were selling drugs. And it was it was like a product of our environment and a product of the war on drugs. So as I got older, I started to um, adopt some of those different things that I seen because it wasn't really no resisting it. So. I had this interest in music. When I was around nine years old, um, I started freestyling and listening to music and repeating the words and then adding my own words. So at nine years old, I realized I can rap and then got older and started talking about some of those things that I was seeing and going through in Detroit. And then once I hit about 13, 14, that was around the age where my mom got pregnant with me. So um, it was kind of like, all right, like this is uh, this is the age that you know um, we all know that we got independent out here, so or we became independent. So around fourteen, it was almost like, all right, you're a man now. My mom, she didn't say it, but it was almost I felt kind of like I'm the age that she was when she gave birth to me and dropped out of school. Yeah. So um, had a little chest on your hair. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, that was the age for me. It was like that initiation of manhood. Like, all right, you're the man of the house, not having my dad and stuff like that. So that's when I got out in the streets, um, experienced a rough life, but eventually um, I started to find my purpose and the music thing really started to pick up and keep me grounded to share my purpose. And then I went from being that kid in the streets, um, doing a lot of stuff that I was doing to being a product of my environment, to telling that story in the music and using it to help get people out of it and make sense of it. So that's how I ended up here. Man, that's awesome. So when you say you got in the streets, what are you talking about? Like you start, like, tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, one of my earliest memories is, and I have it in a lyric in one of my songs, Warzone. I said, money on the table and chop on the couch. This is all I knew. Will I ever make it out? So, like, I remember one time knocking on a friend's door, and he was, like, maybe four years older than me. Knocked on his door. They let me come in the house. And then I looked, and there was, like, a pile of money on the table, um, pile of, you know, pile of weed on the table, like, massive amounts. And then the guns were like leaned against the wall and on the couch. And I was like, okay, like it was like war. It was like, it was like the movies, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Real, right? Like, man, what is this? You know? And then as I got older, like I said, you know, bought my first gun at 13 because for me it was like, um, if I don't become a wolf, I'll become a sheep. If I don't learn to defend myself, 
then I will become prey. I'll end up like my dad, you know, if I don't pick up a gun to protect myself. And then any radius I looked in my neighborhood, the only way I seen people making money was drugs. So um, I started getting into selling weed around like 13, 14. And, you know, sold my first bag of weed in my classroom um, in the schools for us was like prison. So it was like, um, when I went to school, they were kind of like, you either join a gang or we will beat you. You know what I mean? So I never joined a gang. I just had to fight every single day of the week until I proved myself and kind of like got left alone. So, um, yeah, it was like every day for me felt like, um, I'm risking my life just walking to school. I'm risking my life just going to the store to get some candy. So 13, 14 years old, it was like, all right, I need a gun to protect myself. And to make money, I need to, you know, sell weed and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's how it really started. And then fast forward, as I got older, it was like, it, it just picked up and got worse and worse and worse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The bigger you get, the the more courage you get, the the bigger mm-hmm. risks you take and the bigger trouble you can find yourself in. Right. Yeah, for sure. So how did you, okay. We got, you know, teenage Trey who is selling drugs, carrying guns, doing his thing, you know, living in the streets. What was that transition like for you to step out of that into more focusing on? Because now, you know, like I said, you're more of like an influencer. You were heavily involved in the protests here in Detroit and all that. How, where, how did that transition take place? How did you go from like, you know, rough and tough, don't mess with me, I'm Trey, to, hey, y'all, I'm Trey. Yeah. I'm on a bad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was it was really realizing everything. I mean, like, it wasn't really that fast. It wasn't that simple. But yeah. I had to see and go through so much stuff that, like, a lot of my friends didn't make it out of. You know, I talk about five of the guys that I grew up with. Um, there's a picture of me, like, and, like, five guys. A few of those guys are dead. You know, some of them are in jail. And, like, some of them are off, like, doing their own thing and stuff like that. But a lot of the guys I grew up with didn't make it out. So um, I had a friend who was like my brother, you know, he ended up getting killed. And it was like all the people around me were like dropping, you know, friends and and family. And um, like I would be sitting with one guy like one day and then the next day wake up and then go outside. And they're like, oh, this is where, he, you know, bullet shells where his body was found and he was dead. So like I had to really go through a lot of stuff. And then after seeing all that trauma, you know, my mom was like, you know, I'm going to move you out to the suburbs. It was like me seeing, you know, people lose their life or me being attached to people, then they lose their life the next day. Um, my mom was like, okay, um, I'm going to try to move you out of here. And the schools were like prisons, like I said. It was, you know, it was it was rough. So um, Section 8, which is government assistance for, uh, yeah. those who don't know, allowed us to move to the suburbs because before, some people don't know that there were actually redlining preventing black people to move to certain neighborhoods. So it was mm-hmm. a certain amount of time that we were like stuck in our neighborhood. So even though my mom wanted me out and I wanted out, we, we couldn't really move out until section eight opened up in the suburbs. Cause you know, she was young. I saw we could afford. So we move out and a lot of that trauma I was going through, I brought with me. So in school, I started doing a lot of stuff. I brought it with me even to the suburbs. Cause I didn't feel safe in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, five, four, um, I had a fresh start in the suburbs, but then I ended up getting kicked out of all public schools in 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 the in the area in the district uh, for the second time. First time I was in Wisconsin with my grandma. But fast forward, like the reason I was kicked out is because um, people were like threatening me, just like normal school fights. But I, I was like so um, traumatized, and I had this PTSD from you know the stuff I done seen in the street. So. Um, I usually like overreacted. So then I found myself getting kicked out of all these schools and like, you know, weapons found on me. And I had to like, um, man, I had to fight so much stuff. So then I'm like, okay, I got kicked out of school in a whole nother state. Like I got sent out of state for a fresh start, got kicked out of all public schools. They about to, you know, they about to lock me up and send me to jail, but I beat yeah. that and then came back home, went to the suburbs, got out of that and didn't go to jail. And I'm like, okay. Like, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm escaping all of this, this prison time that I should be doing. I'm escaping. Like, I couldn't go back to Detroit because people are like, you know, when we see you, we're going to take your life. So I'm like, man, like, I ain't going to go out easy, but I don't want that to happen. Like, you know, I'm going to be ready for it. So it was, a, it was so bad to the point where um, I had to go hide out in the projects with some of my family because I had like people looking for me. It was, it was rough. And you're talking about being 15 years old, you know? So, um, I just was like, man, I need a fresh start. Like, I need to be able to, like, look within. There's something within me if 
I keep going all these places, but I'm bringing it with me instead of like my, I can't keep blaming the the white teachers or this or that. Cause I had some people that actually wanted to help me and I had to realize there's something in me, there's this pain. So um, it was weird. Like I picked up this like comic book and it was talking about like God and forgiveness. And I'm like, okay, this sounds good. And I'm like, it was almost like, you know, God loves you. And that was like the first time I heard love. Like for me, it was like, you know, love is uh, toughening you up and making sure you're going to survive on the street. So I'm like, you know, let me let me read more of this. So I kind of um, I was kicked out of uh, school for the whole year. So I had like time to just learn, yeah. get all this literature. So I had a friend who was a Hebrew Israelite and he put a lot of uh, spiritual knowledge in me, like a lot of a lot of stuff that really helped me as a black man and encouraged me. And he kind of like was like, man, you need to like really start digging within. So I started learning a lot of stuff about ancient religions from him. Then I started learning about the love of God. And then I started piecing it together. And I'm like, man, like I am love. Like I can start fresh. Like, and the biggest thing was that forgiveness. Cause I mean, I, I realized I did a lot of stuff. I hurt a lot of people. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I did and I didn't feel like I can be loved or be forgiven. So when I read that, I'm like, you know, this ain't the stuff that I'm used to hearing, like that you're going to burn or you're going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, people would tell me that. I'm like, yo, I'm already living and burn. like I'm already burning. Like my life yeah, is right. terrible. Like it ain't nothing that can scare me, you know? Um, so, I mean, it, I just needed to hear like, I love you. Like I care about you. And like that one thing, you know, because my mom didn't know how to tell me she was, you right. know, she had sure. to be. I had my dad. So um, all these people chastising me. Send Trey to jail, do this, lock him up, throw away the key. The first time I heard, I love you, like, and you can be forgiven. That's, I ran to it. And I was like isolated at the time, just reading stuff, just reading knowledge, reading different religious stuff. And then um, I started realizing, like, you know, what if I start telling my story? And I had people like my granddad telling me, like, man, you can really use this to help people. Like, you've been through a lot. So I started using that in my, um, and my music and focusing on being loved and focused on trying to tell myself I'm forgiven. And that's how I went from being who I was to like, all right, I'm forgiven. I don't have to be paranoid. Yeah. I have to accept the fact that if I go to Detroit and get gunned down, like I'm still loved, I'm still forgiven. You know what I mean? I had that's to accept true. that. I got a question for you on that. I don't yeah. mean to cut you off, but um, like just to refresh everybody on that, because you're saying a lot. How old are you when you're having these revelations? Like, it was like are you, and like, man, I, I gotta tell you, that's heavy and that's heavy. So, listen, um, I think it's funny when people look at me and they see me like as you know, this guy who's successful now, and I'm a kid from Eight Mile, and it sounds like you a kid from uh, what, what side of town did you say you were from? Just um, I grew up on Dexter and Linwood, so Dexter and Linwood, we know Dexter and Linwood. So, mm-hmm. my point is like. It's hard, man. It's a hard life for a lot of people. It's a lot of people who are struggling and going through those things. For you to have that much weight on your shoulder, like, how much relief did it give you? And, like, how, how did you transition that to, like, creativity? Because at 15, you had a huge revelation and you found love, man. And it's, it's grown men out here who haven't found that yet. So how did you how did you transition that revelation into creativity and something powerful? Because you've done a lot of powerful stuff. So... How did that transition happen from like, because that's where people hit their stumbling block too a lot is from the intangible to the tangible. So what what, what made it transition for you? So for me, it was like wanting to take everything that I've been through and, and bring it back and like really help other people that I knew was going through stuff that I went through. You know, I feel like I went through a lot of stuff and and instead of me trying to take, 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 I'm like, man, maybe let me try to give that love that I feel like I had to give myself or that I had to learn to love myself. Let me try to help love other people and go back to the trenches and go back to places where people are scared to go and bring my love. You know? That was the thing I was going to ask you. Like when you took that back to the hood, how was that? How was that first received? People ain't trusted. They like not. Nah. People were scared. Like people was like when they seen me, they knew like high stuff because they know I take it like. It was rough, like so. People were skeptical, but over time, they they got used to it, you know. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's that's powerful. Now, fast forward a little bit to meeting your wife. How'd you meet your wife? How did how did you sort of navigate all of this that's happening in you? The transition you had from rough and tough to I'm loved and forgiven, and I'm able to sort of project that and help others. How did that play out? 
when you met your wife? What was that dynamic like in trying to find like a mate in a, in a whatever? It was tough. So we met at a at a concert. It was through a um, rapper named Propaganda. He's a very conscious yeah, rapper. I know, Prop. I know Prop. Look up to him a lot, man. And she was yeah. a fan. As well. you, you, you dropped that so subtly. You were like, "Oh, this is this rapper named Propaganda." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he like when I when I went to see him, I was like, "Man, I kind of I kind of look like this guy. I want to grow my hair out like him." And that's that's yeah. how I ended up growing my hair out. Actually, there you that go. Was eight nine years ago, but yeah. um, yeah. So I seen seen him, and she was there. So she seen me, heard about me, and stuff like that. Messaged me. We were talking in the DMs and stuff like that um, on Facebook or whatever. And then you know. We ended up meeting up, getting coffee, chilling, and then really like she was living in Detroit. I was living in the suburbs. So I didn't want to go back to the city. Like I said, I was like, I'm, I'm I made it out of Detroit. I ain't trying to go back. But then like I had all these walls up. Like for me, I've accepted that I can't really get close to people because you never know how long they're gonna be with you. Like they can be gone like that. So I had a oh, really relationship really difficult. So how did you kind yeah. of navigate that? Man, it was tough. Like she really had to fight for me to say it's okay. You can trust me. Like I'm not gonna leave you. Like once it got serious, all these walls started coming up. Like nah, man, what if it got real? (laughs) What if if this? And it it was tough, man. To be honest, there was a lot of tears on my end because it it was a lot of healing that came out. Because she is like the first person that I feel like I emotionally gave myself to. Once we like got engaged and married, that's when it was like I didn't realize that I can really love somebody like how I loved her. Um, and then it got even more when we had our son and that's when like all those walls started to come down and it was like emotional for me to where I was like, man, I don't know if I can embrace this. And then I found myself embracing it just by like her, like fighting with me to say it's okay. And over time, like I started to open up, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Now you, so you were super involved in, um, the protests in Detroit, right? And you would consider yourself an activist, right? For sure. So your wife is white and you are black. Your son is mixed uh, between the two of you. How has that all played out within your household? How has that played out in educating your son and keeping your son up to date on all the current events happening? How is your wife processing this? How are you processing this? How are you guys kind of working together to process it as a, as a unit? Like, tell me about that dynamic. Yeah. So, um, it's it's interesting because when I first met my wife, I thought she was um, just white, you know, until I talked to her. And then I realized that her family uh, is from Lithuania and her first language is Russian. And like, I was like, whoa, OK. Whoa, so, so, she, so when she gets mad, she can really go in. Oh, yeah, for sure. So. Um, so, yeah. So for us, the reason that she became interested just like in understanding the struggle and, you know, moved to Detroit just to like just to understand and grow and learn. It's because her family grew up in the Soviet Union and they're actually Jewish. So um, it's kind of hard to be able to say that now because this is so much going on in our world. But yeah, um, it almost feels weird. Like she don't always publicly say she's Jewish because of like, you know, it, it, you can't I mean it's, it's tough. So like her understanding the struggle that they went through helped her empathize with the struggle that my ancestors went through. So she's very compassionate in that area. Um, also, like for for us, it's almost like we study each other's history and study each other's struggle and embrace each other's cultures, you know? So it's like, um, we feel like we we're allies in the fight. And, you know, so far as our son, like on the outside, he's black. Like people see him as black, you know, he's like the, he's a little lighter than me, you know, the same skin complexion as my, as my mom, which is, is wild. So like people see him as black. So we try to let them know, um, we try to Barack Obama is, is always like to say. Yeah, we try to we try to affirm him in that love because he'll go hang out with my five siblings and they all blend in perfect together, you know. So like we try to affirm him in areas like you know your love, and we try to let him know to have that confidence to not. So when he get older, he don't feel like he's any different, you know. And then like we teach him Russian because um you know that's his grandparents' first language, that's his mom's first language. So we're teaching him Black history, we're teaching him Russian, and you know we still teach him like. Um, cultural Jewish uh, traditions and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it's not really that hard. It's a it's a good balance, you know. I feel he's a well balanced kid, man. I mean, you're giving him all that background and history. You're teaching him. You're teaching him who he is, and that's important. So, and you know, the struggle of the the black struggle, I think, in America is sometimes the the marginalization of our experience. So, 
shout out to you for sharing that and for being active and activist. So when you were involved in, because from my understanding, you were a big part of the Detroit protest of, of George Floyd and you were, you were, you weren't just like in it, you were like in it to win it and like on the ground floor. Like what, what drove you there? Like, how did you get like so pivotal in that movement? Did you, I mean, did you plan go into it that way? Like I remember T.I. talking about getting involved and, you know, um, being an activist. And he just said, I literally just saw people walking and like, I just went with them because I was mad and I didn't know what to do. What was, what was yeah. your story of getting to be such a part of it? So it first started when I got invited. It started with a text. We seen the video of George Floyd. It was terrible. Um, a lot of people knew, you know, they, they knew they felt the pain, but they didn't know how to express it. I thought that most of the protests were going to be out of state. So I was kind of preparing, like, all right, we're going to go back out of state if we got to. So um, because we've always been someone who was um, like politically active, but not as much as we have this year, you know. So um, we went to march in Washington, but we just marched and met people. But we were thinking that we were going to go back to Washington or go like where George Floyd was killed and stuff like that. So we got a text saying that there were protests happening in Detroit. So all I did, took my family. We went out there. We got ready, got our mask on. And we started walking. We started protesting. And it was it was a, it was beautiful. We met a lot of people. We got connected and got a lot of resources and um, just on different things people were doing in the city. So it felt beautiful. And then they said that we're going to do this every single day um, until we figure out what's the next step and that we actually get changed. So I was like, let's go. Like me and my family, we were out there for like it sounds insane, but we were out there for like nine days straight because think about it. No work, no school, pandemic, locked in the house. And like this, like we can do this because um, it was just that availability to do it. So it was very tiring, um, but we, we felt like this supernatural energy just to be out there and to keep going. So it was like nine, 10 days. My son did well out there. And then that like it eventually turned into like one night I went um, back home and then I got a call like, hey, Trey, turn on TV. People are down there like literally uh, shooting fireworks and going crazy. And I think Detroit is about to be torn down. So I was talking to people who were here during the 1967 riots and when they when they burned down the whole city of Detroit and we talked about how Detroit has never um, recovered since then. So I, we knew that we didn't need a, a riot specifically in Detroit, you know. So I'm like, man, if anything, we need to rebuild the city and make it um, give more opportunities for people who live here. So um, that's happening. And then I go downtown and I just felt like just go. Like I asked my wife, like, do you really think I should go down there? It doesn't look safe at all. She said, if you feel like you should go and you feel like you feel led to go down there, then go. I'm not going to hold you back. And it was scary. Like I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so I got down there and then I seen people basically antagonizing the police, like a specific group of teenage kids. So I seen kids getting out their car with their phone, like, yo, we're at the protest. Like, oh man, we about to go throw some bottles, man. We ain't got nothing else to do tonight. And I kept telling them, like, go home. This ain't a party. Like, go home. And it was these kids. So I started seeing them shoot fireworks and throw stuff at the police. And these were mostly black women and black men um, who were getting hit in the face by teenage white kids from the suburbs. And so these were, you're talking the police were black. And yeah, that, that's what I mean. The police were uh, black men and black women. And some of them looked like my aunt. Some of them looked like uncles. Some of them looked oh, like yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm. yo, like, and they had to refrain themselves. So. I stepped in between them and told them like, yo, if anybody wanted, if anybody want to go through them, like go through me first, like y'all think y'all tough, like come up at me and I'm going to show y'all like, what's up, you know? Um, and it was just like, I'm like, y'all think y'all so tough because y'all know that they can't do nothing right now. You right. know, these are just kids. And I'm like, you know, like I said, and I got family members who uh, work for Detroit police. So, yeah. and I'm like, I, you know, what happened was I asked one of the officers, like, where you from, bro? He was like, I'm from the King home projects, man. And I was like, look, this officer is from the projects and you got kids coming from Ann Arbor to come try to beat beat on him. Like what? You know, and then that's how how I got involved. And then next thing you know, the following days after that, all that news and all the videos started to spread. And then we started getting hundreds of people who wanted to look for um, what I was doing and get behind the mission. You know, you had other families that wanted to come out there and people who wanted to repair the city and they got behind us, you know, so we kind of like. It was a messy fight, but it it was worth it, you know. No, I, I I'm with you because I got mad because I saw what you spoke to, which is that I saw that there were people out there who weren't necessarily trying to help, and they weren't down for the cause. 
And so it, it really made me angry. And, you know, um, I, I did want to have a, I had a question for you though. Like you talked about your son and having your son see those things. And so like, when it comes to the fatherhood aspect of that, and I know the conversations we were having at home and about, because for me, when, when the whole George Floyd situation spoke down, it, it struck a chord with me because it felt like I didn't feel responsible, but I felt like, you know, some some opportunities were missed to help explain the black experience, because I think so often as a, a person, we spend so much time just trying to get by. We don't we kind of don't give the, the proper light it is to our experience and how often we are not meeting people in the me middle, but meeting people at like 75 percent and 90 percent and taking the, the jokes and taking the subtle little things because, you know, our whole you know, as a black person in America, you're the minority. That's what you're used to a lot of times is people being ignorant and not knowing and you having to educate them. And so, you know, taking those conversations home, like for me, I wanted my kids to know, like, look, you're not going to placate people because they're ignorant. You you're going to we're going to stop this right now because I don't I don't want to see another George Floyd because we were just nice when somebody said something that was ignorant or we were just kind. We, we need to find ways to politely be confrontational and push back. That's what I call it, politely pushing back. So how how are you thinking about those conversations? Because I know your kids are younger, but how are you thinking about those polite and politely pushing back in those conversations to, you know, not just sit back and because, you know, I know you got it in you. You you were, you were down on the main line. So how are you having those talks or how are you yeah, planning on having It's tough. Like, I mean, I thank God, like our son is at an age where he he still has that innocence. And I'm trying to protect that as much as I can, because I feel like I lost my innocence like super early. So I want to protect that in him. Um, and he still feels like the world is a nice, loving place, even through that. Like he knew he was fighting for something, um, but he didn't know exactly like how it affected him yet, you know, by him being three. So as he get older, I'm going to tell him because one of the biggest mistakes that I made is I was in a, a specific situation in a specific area and i let a few jokes slide like hey don't take a picture in the dark room with trey you won't be able to see him and um oh monkey like all these jokes and these were from like people who were supposed to be friends in the community. Yeah. and they were like you know it was all this stuff that i felt like eventually turned into like hey it made me feel like oh maybe i'm being too sensitive but for them they started saying stuff that was way worse you know so I feel like the mistake that I made was that I should have corrected it when I first heard it and first seen it because about time I got to correct it. And these were people that I spent years with, you know, and like years of my life with. And once I said something, I just snapped. It was like, you know what I mean? And they were looking at me oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, it was like they put that yeah. fear in me. But I feel like with my son, I want to teach him like, you know, you are you are powerful. You are strong. You are a leader. Like you are you are loved, you know, and let him know that if anybody say this stuff, like you have to make it uncomfortable because people will slide these jokes in. So it'll be like like I've had so many of those jokes where it's like, uh, oh, Trey's here. Grab, you know, grab, grab some chicken and watermelon or something random or or oh, man, he's, he's sagging. He's coming up in here. Uh, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've learned like, oh, like I. I don't feel welcome here. Honest. And if I got to ruin the moment, say, oh, I didn't know I was, uh, I didn't know I made the room uncomfortable when I got here. So I'll leave. And then if like, I've had some of those situations recently and I mean, you know, um, so yeah. So for me, like, I think the biggest thing that I had to learn is being confident in who I am, knowing that like, yes, I went into the store recently and I was about to spend $400 on something for my career. And a lady was profiling me and you know, I had to let it know, like, hey, I'm just as smart as anyone. I can outwork, you know, most of the people that I'm like giving myself that confidence and, and being able to correct people. And that like I've had to correct people recently knowing like, oh, you want to profile me because I'm coming into your store and you don't you think I'm about to steal? Like, wait till you find out who I am. Like, not even out of just arrogance, but it's like I'm about to like, you know, you don't know who you're talking to. And even if I wasn't where I'm at, the confidence of like who I am and what I give back to people. You know what I mean? I try to, I try to always have that confidence. And even for my son, like I want him to know, like, oh, you just th thought I was about to steal? Like, I'm a, I'm a stock investor. Like, I'm educated. Like, you know, like you don't know who I am. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, it starts with that confidence and and letting them know, like, if you got to ruin the moment, it's better than letting it escalate. You know? Absolutely. I love it, man. Absolutely. So, uh, we're in Black History Month, obviously. Mm -hmm. 
What, why do you think, I would love to hear your take on this. Why do you think that Black History Month is important? That we take time every year to focus on Black History Month and Black history in particular, autonomous from American history. Mm-hmm. Like rather than just lumping it in with all the other things, we take time to focus and say, this is Black history. Let's pause and focus only on this. Why is that important? Yeah, it's important because all our life, like, a lot of our history is buried and not told and it's watered down to to think that we were just slaves and that's all it was. But people don't know that like black people invented some of the most important things like traffic lights. And it's so many different inventions that if people looked up, you know, they'll say, wow, like black people, like a lot of, a lot of ignorant people believe like, oh, y'all were animals in the jungle. And then we brought y'all to America and then you became this. It's like, no, like we like, have done so many things, accomplished so many things. And I think having that appreciation versus always being acknowledged when there's a negative thing or an issue going on, like let's show some positivity towards our culture. Let's highlight it and let's do some, um, let's do some good things and get some good education around it. That's not just negative or, or trauma, you know, like that's a, that's a healthy thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's your take? I would echo that too, you know? Um, it's important that black people, it's important that we highlight black vo- voices uh, all the time, but particularly in Black History Month, because honestly, you know, um, when it comes to black people in society and in everything, we get um, we get whitewashed a lot, like because we don't we don't fit the mold specifically or say the right words. And then therefore our story gets diluted, but it doesn't need to be diluted. And to take it back to the point you were saying earlier, Trey, um, we we have to stop letting that happen to where, you know, we get kind of just placated and we get kind of whitewashed to where it's mar- our story is glossed over. You know, the example uh, we're in the middle of Black History Month um, is uh, is funny. The the best uh, uh, memes and, and the quotes I saw from uh, Martin Luther King Day were it was a picture of Martin Luther King smirking like, you know, this is how you know Martin Luther King looking at all the people uh, using his quotes right now because they don't they don't know that back in the day uh, when Martin Luther King was assassinated he was considered uh, almost the enemy of the state he was not loved people look at him kind of how we now some people see Malcolm X like he was not beloved back then Martin Luther King's uh, day wasn't uh, a thing until the eighties like think about that he died in the sixties and so it's important that we recognize we still got a long way to go I mean the fact that George Floyd, you know, he got his neck kneeled on for eight minutes and 46 seconds is it's absurd. But that shows how dehumanized that we we've allowed this thing to come for us where they're like, that's just, you know, he shouldn't have been resisting arrest. I mean, if he hadn't resisted arrest and it's just it's crazy because the the reciprocity needs to be there. The quality needs to be there. And that's why I always applaud. Uh, when I see people out there taking to the streets. Now, Trey, I'm, I'm not going to assume you, you're that much younger than me because then that'll make me old. But <laughs> um, to see people have that passion, man, because it's, it's important for us. It's important for us as Black people to celebrate ourselves. But it's also important for us to demand that other people recognize our contributions. And if, you know, a president can try and erase that, we need to say no. Black History Month is important because of all the times that we've been looked over for all the times that the electoral system allowed slave masters to vote for black folks. And that was why we still have the Electoral College and why someone can lose by seven million votes and still say it was a close race. No. <laughs> so we we got to I mean, I, I guess that's my attitude now more than ever is no more stepping back and like yeah. placating. We got to move ahead. I I think I agree. I think, Trey, I like what you said, too, about um, Black History Month and like, you know, uh, being raised to, you know, I was I I grew up in Detroit. I grew over at I grew up at like Moross and Kelly. So I was on the east side. I was like seven mile and Kelly. And I was one of the only white guys, white kids on my street. Right. Um, And but I use my grandma's address to go to school, like in a different city. I know it's illegal, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You know, DPS, it, it was it was struggling. Um, and so I, but I remember in black history month learning things and it was like the, the problem that I had with it. And I didn't realize it until later in life. Now, now my kids go to school and my kids are the minority. It's majority, uh, black students. My kids, uh, four of my kids are white, two of them are black. And so we go to a different kind of situation and in black history month at my kid's school, it's a lot different than the experience 
than I had growing up in Black History Month in my school. Like mm-hmm. I come out of Black History Month and I'm not, I, I mean, this is terrible, but I think a lot of people come out of Black History Month thinking that there were like five successful black people. You know what I mean? And yeah. like talk about those five people and you don't realize, Trey, like you said, how much of an impact on our world and on our culture and on everything that black people have had. And I come from a background of theology and I know the first four, four years, three to four years of my theological training, it's a bunch of white dudes that I'm learning about, you yeah. know? I take a, 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 a black theology class and a black history class and learn all these black theologians and what they've contributed to the conversation and to all this stuff. And so I think it's vitally important, like you guys are saying, for us to highlight it as its own thing and bring it to the forefront because for so many years, systemically, it has been silenced. It, has it been continues silenced. to be silenced too. You know, I mean? you know, yeah, I look at, you know, it's, it's tough for me sometimes because like, like, you know, we take people kind of think that we make a little progress and somehow that changes things. You know, like we talked about your your marriage, Trey, and you being an interracial marriage. I'm an interracial marriage. People take uh, that as an example. Oh, see, see, things are better. Like, nah, homie, it's not as much better as you think it is. Like, there's still struggle. Like, there's still bias and prejudice. And, you know, people still look at me funny when I go when I'm out by myself. Like, they don't say, oh, look at him. No, I, I still get looks and, you know, you you understand, you just talked about going into the store and you must have not been talking about the Apple store because you look like an artist. So it's more we're like name names. we're going to name names of stores, but because we want certain, Apple. It's certain, it's certain areas. And I, I, I try to tell myself, like, man, like, don't go to certain areas. It shouldn't be that way. Like, but like the thing that bothers me the most is like, man, like if people only knew who I was, like they would not be treating me this way. Like, I mean, when I, it's funny. Cause when I, when I get pulled over, like I rarely get pulled over in Detroit. That's what I love about the city. Um, might not always live here, but I know I'll miss it. But when I get pulled over, it's like, okay. Like if I, if an officer start getting aggressive, it's like, let me, let me tell you up on something. Oh, you know, I met with chief Craig, right. Uh, a couple months ago. Right. Oh, I got his, I, I can call him. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I know how to play certain games. Like you just, you know, in Detroit, like I said, I don't really have those issues, but in certain areas, but specifically if I save up some hard um, earned money and I try to go spend it on something in a store in a suburb somewhere and someone behind the counter tries to question me. I had a guy recently trying to ID me. Um, I'm spending hundreds of dollars in nutrition, vitamins, and I'm like, bro, trying to ID me for something. So I went to a different location uh, that was like um, black employees and they said there was no need for him to ID me. So um, I spoke up to the guy, I said, well, listen, man, like, um, I hope you wasn't trying to profile. Cause when you asked me for identification, this is how that made me feel. So I said, you know, like, I just, I just told him like, man, when I go through these things, it makes me feel sad because, um, I just want to be treated as equal. I want to be treated as human. And like, I worked so hard for my money and for him. He was just kind of like, Whoa, man. Like he thought I was just going to be like ignorant and not able to, to hold my weight. So it's like, Man, if y'all only knew who I is, who I was, if you go home and ask your kids who I am, they probably know who I am if they have the TikTok app. But like that person don't know that. They just see me coming in with some dreadlocks and you know, and they're like, oh, look at this guy. Let's let's go talk to him. Let's go ask him, harass him. And when I'm quick on my feet and I'm sharp, you know, like I learned from the Malcolm X's and stuff, um, it puts people in a place, but it's like, I just want to go to like a mall and a store to pick up some stuff and not feel like I have to be ready to, to defend myself, you know, like, oh, absolutely. I'm not, a I just want to say to you and, you know, to what I was reading between your lines or what you were saying that, that sucks for a lot of people who don't have the ability to say, you know, and I push back and say, I, yeah, you know who you are. You're yeah. somebody, you're somebody's child and you're important and you matter just as much as the person that they, that they think matters more because they are familiar with them. That's, and, you know, that's not, absolutely right. It's not about who you know always, like because a lot of people come in there and they don't know anybody, but that doesn't mean that they don't deserve the basic human dignity and respect. And I don't care what they're looking like. And I don't because, you know, I think what history has shown us over time is that that bias has gotten a lot of people hurt of saying like, oh, well, he looked like a good guy and, yeah. and, and vice versa. He looked like a bad guy. So I, I just think, you know, <sighs> that's the hardest part about parenting just to take it to that father piece is to helping our kids remember to judge people like 
unfairly and not, and bias is normal. It's okay. Like, look, you know, listen, when, you know, I'm certain places and, you know, everybody looks a certain way and I know I look different. I'm aware of that. And I'm aware, like, you know, of my surroundings. I'm, I'll never tell you to not be aware of your surroundings because that's silly. But and I think what I, I think the biggest thing is like, man, like is it's like I've I've seen so much stuff and come so far to think that, like, if I if I became a ball player or if I became a doctor, maybe I'll be seen as equal. But I think the frustration with me is like, man, you can become LeBron James. And if you go to some town where people don't have Internet, they're, they're going to treat you like you tall, you got tattoos. So I think that's my biggest frustration. Like, man, I can't just tell a kid in the hood like, yo, man, earn six figures, become a stock trader and you won't have to go through this. It's like you can have a mil- half a million in a bank and still be treated. It's like and I think that's my frustration. Like, man, I've come so far to still be looked at as just another black kid. Like when I go to certain places, but I hate to say it, Trey, but yeah, I, I won't say it, but I'll just say uh, the OJ song. So you know, <laughs> leave it at that. yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Hey, no, that's good. Nah, I get it. Yeah. Nah, for real, man. But um, it's tough, man. It's tough being a parent in this day in life, but I feel even more empowered, though, than our parents did because I feel like they've emboldened us, and I feel like we're in a place now where we're ready to continue, and we're ready to teach our kids better than to just, you know, to just get by. I think we can teach them the value of self-respect and self-dignity and the power of money and the value of themselves more and how to value yourself and how you, how to let people treat you. And, you know, you don't have to always be braggadocious. If people don't want to treat you the right way, just don't deal with them. You know, yeah. like you said, oh, y'all want to crack a little hee hee ha ha uh, black jokes? Like, oh, watch your wallet. All right, I'm out. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You know, so it's it's important for our kids, man. Sam, I'm sorry. We just we were talking about the activism thing, and, you know, um, we got to get back on schedule here, though, Sam. No, it's, it's important. This is this is important content. This is important conversation. So I feel like a lot of the dads, who are part of the dad to the bone community can relate with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. You know what I mean? And so I think this brings a real a reality to it. You know, this is not the stuff that everybody's talking about all the time, you know, talking about feeling profiled and feeling whatever and all the the, the bias and, and everything, you know, being judged by your cover, by the, you know, judging a book by its cover, not by the content of your character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's a terrible feeling to be, involved in that. You know what I mean? No matter where you are in the conversation. And so I think this is huge, but um, Trey, let me, let me ask you this as we kind of land the plane and wrap this thing up. So you're, you're three years deep on being a dad, right? Um, You're an artist, you're an activist, you're an influencer, you're um, you know, more of the creative type, right? And there's not, um, I I have a lot of creatives in my life um, and I know that, and I don't know if this is the case for your circle and your sphere of influence, but I know in a lot of the creative wor- world, uh, being a parent is scary, right? Like there's not a lot of parents and successful creatives, right? I mean, I don't know. Is that the case for your circles as well? Um, I mean, it all depends. Parents? It's a little different now because of YouTube and stuff. You know, guys, guys killing it on YouTube and able to just be home and make videos and content. Yeah. So, yeah. So Nas X, little Nas X, right? That was his story. TikTok. I mean, I got like friends, man, who are like clearing six figures just from uploading on YouTube and rapping and stuff. So yeah, that's crazy. So so, but being a dad, I know being a creative, it can be scary to be a dad. So what advice would you give to guys that are earlier in this process than you are? Right, you're three years deep. You still got a long way to go, but you've yeah. learned some things along the way and you've picked some things up. So what advice would you give to any of the dads that are? Uh, taking this in or soon to be dads or very, very young dads that may be feeling overwhelmed, maybe feeling like, man, I don't know if I can do this, whatever. What advice would you give to them? What advice would you give to Trey Little two weeks before he's about to have little Jai? What, what advice would you give? I would, him? I would say, um, you know, opportunities and people will always be there with these relations, you know, performance opportunities and business opportunities um, but you won't always get these moments with your family or with your son or with your wife and all three of them together. Like why are you shooting you, at me, dog? Why are you shooting at me? Yeah, like like um people might offer you opportunities and they might want you to jump on them fast, but 
it's going to be okay. Those opportunities are going to come back to back to back. That's not the one in a lifetime opportunity. Like still be diligent, but don't feel like you have to sacrifice um, time with the family just for this. You can be successful with your wife alongside you and with your son um, up under you as well. Like you can, you can do it, you know? I love that. I love that. That's, that's convicting and encouraging in the same breath. Listen, man, family, at the end of the day, your family, your community is what is what's important. And so cherish it. So I love it. Trey, how can people find you? How can people connect with you? Um, Anywhere online, Trey Little, T-R-A-Y-L-I-T-T-L-E. You can Google it. You can Facebook it, Instagram it, YouTube it. Trey Little. TikTok it. Yeah, TikTok it. Hey, speaking, <laughs> of that, speaking of that, uh, TikTok made me the um, top video for MLK Day today, which is- Get out of here. Yeah, if you go on the Discover page, um, I'm like the first video on a uh, TikTok for MLK Day. Oh, uh, hit it up, yeah. yeah, nuts, man, for real. That's, That's exciting. Awesome. So now I gotta go find you, and we gotta watch it and check it out, man. You're doing a lot of great stuff, man. So I, I com- I commend you as a father, as a person, as a community member, as somebody out there who is making a difference, man. You're not just talking it; you're living it. And so, and I commend you from pulling yourself out of uh, your situation. And so keep, keep doing great things, man. And, and uh, we hope to have you back here someday. Dude. Yeah. Trey, thank you so much for being with us, man. It is such an inspiration. I hope I, I, I know that this is going to be super inspiring to a lot of dads because of your story and where you've come from and where you're at and where you're going even like your story's not done. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. In the of it, man, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to hanging out with us uh, for just this little bit, man. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Trey. Later, bud. Man. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, man. What am I doing with my life? Huh? What am I doing with my life? (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. I got to reevaluate my priorities. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's awesome. He, um, He, He hit on a lot of stuff, man. He hit on a lot of inspiration he hit on a lot of just i love i love the fact that it was just second nature for him uh when he was talking about the protests and being out there he's like we're out there for nine days he was like it was like just so casual was like yeah my son did pretty good with it man (laughs) it's like it's just natural like yo i'm doing this i'm making it happen and my kids are right there with me you know because we've talked about that before in the past too it's like you know um i think it was last last season rich was talking about how he brought his daughter out to um, he was, he was talking about how Rich brought his daughter out to the protests and exposed her that to that stuff. And it brought up a lot of conversations and a lot of learning opportunities. And I think that is just so powerful. You know what I mean? And it's cool. that It was just second nature to him. Like, yeah, man, my whole family was out there. My son was out there. It's cool that they were afforded that opportunity, but then also, um, you know, capitalized on it. Yeah. No, I, I like, I mean, when passion meets purpose, you can do a lot. And that's what Trey is doing. He's got his passion. He's got his purpose and he's aligning them together and he's doing it with his family. I cannot tell you that some of the the, the leaders that I look to, up to the most, um, the pedestal that they put their family on is outstanding to me. Uh, we had Wesley Morgan on an episode ago or two episodes ago. And, you know, Wesley and I uh, are folks that we grew up together. Um, and you know, one of the things that he always talks to me about is, um, he's like, listen, man, it's cool. if You're going to conquer the world, but don't forget about your family. He said that the biggest regret of leaders, famous people, powerful people is the time that they spent with their family. So don't have that regret. And I would just pass that along. Cause some of the, the, the few mentors that I've looked up to, uh, men, women I've looked up to, um, they do it with their family. You know, their family is there doing it with them. And it's it's great that way. So um, I, you know, I wanted to uh, just share that message with all dads. And so, you know, with that, we can move on. So that's awesome. I had a a thought here. And so um, I wanted to share and and you can we can go to. But I, I had a resource here specifically for Black History Month. Okay. And one is kid friendly and it's one that is good for families to watch together. And it's called Kevin Hart's Guide to Black History. And so what is it called again? It's called Kevin Hart's Guide to Black History. And it's I thought, I thought you said I thought you said Kevin Hart, but yeah. you said Captain Art. And so I was like, 
Did you say Kevin Hart? I'm a, I'm a mumble rapper. You didn't know that, but it's it's a uh, Kevin Hart's guide to Black History. And this is like Kevin Hart, the short, comedian, yelling, yeah, hilarious the, Kevin Hart. He, yeah, he and he did it with his daughter. So to speak to your point, he had uh he has an hour special. My daughters absolutely love it, and what he does is he highlights other African Americans outside of that Power Five that we always talk about. Right, outside of Malcolm. Harriet Tubman, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, yeah. George Washington Carver, and Fred Douglas. Like yeah. he talks about guys in the Civil War. He talks about Juneteenth. He talks about inventors and astronauts, and he does it in a fam friendly, family way. And it's not like super boring because I think the challenge we have with any history right now, um, unless you like it, is boring. So like you know, unless you're like talking to me about the history of sneakers, then I find it to be incredibly boring. But no, Kevin, you know what it's called again? What's it called? It's called, um, and let me just, it's called Kevin Hart's Guide to Black History. And where can where can we find that? Where can we watch that? You can find that on Netflix. So, okay. so I'm sure it's back on. And I gotta tell you, man, it's it's um it's phenomenal, it's kid-friendly, it's bite-sized, it's not just for black people, it's for everyone. And, you know, I think it's a good piece to start a conversation. It did spark some questions for my friends and, um, you know, for my kids, too. And they were like, well, Dad, what does this mean? What, you know, and how does that play? Because the challenge that we have with Black history is a challenge we have with institutionalized and systemic racism, where our accomplishments are not always <laughs> recognized and given the significance that they deserve. They're, they're minimized. And so... Yeah. We want to make sure that we do our part to not just minimize those. And we want to, and you know, the, the funny part is, um, and I'm only doing this because we're in Black History Month. When we talk about Black history and we talk about Black power and we talk about um, highlighting Black voices, it's never meant to, on like a supremacy tip, like people sometimes compare, well, what's the difference between Black power and white power? White power is a supremacy thing. Black power comes from an inequality thing where people are trying to say, hey, you have value, you have worth, you are special, you are just as important. It's not like a, you know, when you say, say it loud and black and I'm proud, you're not trying to say, oh, I'm better than you. No, it's saying like, I know that there's value in my life and my worth. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's the line, is this along, that line. That's, that's awesome. I think that's an incredible resource. And to be honest, Normally we talk about this before we go live on the air. We did it this time. And yeah. so I asked you to say it again because I literally wrote it down in my notebook. I was like, yep, I'm watching yeah. that like tomorrow with my kids. Well, That's and to be fair, to be fair, I know we, we normally have other more helpful tips, but I thought this being Black History Month, this being. Um, no, 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 no. Don't apologize. No, no, no. Stop right there. Don't apologize for this resource. This is huge. This is very tangible, very practical, very relevant to where we are now. And I think, I, I know me personally, I'm super excited to watch it because I love Kevin Hart. I think he's hilarious, right? That's why when you said Captain Art, I was like, man, that's not a lot like Kevin Hart. <laughs> People are going to be like, Captain Art's Guide to Black History. <laughs> Google would have known. They they track everything you do, so they, they wouldn't yeah. know what you were talking about. Yeah, man. No, Kevin Hart's, Kevin Hart's Guide to Black History. I think that's huge. Dads, take a second. Watch it with your kids. Yep. You know, it, it's a great conversational starter, right? Yeah, uh, you know, and yeah, and now that I think about it, he has other comedians in it too. So okay. it's hilarious. Like it's very lighthearted and funny, but factual too. I so, love it. I'm I'm excited about it. That's a great resource, man. I'm yeah, man. Watch it. And your kids will probably make you watch it again because they'll yeah. laugh. <laughs> but I mean that's something. I mean, if you want your kids watching something multiple times, I think that's I think that's something of worth, you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. That's awesome. Quinn, hit him with the socials, man. Let's get out of here. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this puppy up. So you can find us on Instagram at dad, the number two, the bone podcast. And uh, you can also find us on uh, the Facebook, which it was called at one point at um, dad to the bone podcast. If you just type it all in, save yourself a few spaces, just type in dad to the bone podcast. It'll take you straight to our Facebook page and so if you can like and subscribe those things and if you can also go onto our bio and instagram and on facebook and, and click on like a link to our youtube channel and hit subscribe we are balling and so i am proud to say by the time this comes out i think we're, we have like right now at least two or three hundred followers so who knows it might even be 500 by the time this episode airs who knows so uh, who knows who knows I, 
<laughs> hop on the bandwagon um, and and come find us. So and and uh, we'll we'll chat if you want to chat. Come chat. Leave us a message and we'll get back at you. But in the meantime, watch Captain Arts guide. <laughs> yes. Cap, get so here's what you do: get the full experience, get the big Tupperware bowl, get the Captain <laughs> Crunch, whole box. Just yep. Half gallon of milk. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, oh, and uh, follow Trey, Trey Little. Follow all of his 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 music. Yeah. Hopefully he'll bless us with a track. Um, and, uh, you know, follow him on TikTok if you do the ticking and the talking. Yeah, and, and wait a minute with all that, I don't. he didn't mention it, but TreyLittle.com. It's super oh, yeah. simple. TreyLittle.com. It's got all of his socials and all that stuff. But hit him up on TikTok, Instagram. He's Once once we come back to, to live performances, he does a lot of live performances in Metro Detroit. Yep. Uh, so he's rapping, he's producing, it's T-R-A-Y, and then little, like you spell little, L-I-T-T-L-E, right? Yep. T-R-A-Y. Yeah, A-Y. Yeah, because I always, in my mind, I was thinking like it's an E, but it's T-R-A-Y. A-1 through day one. Yep, he's A-1 since day one. All right, man, well, this is fun, so. Yo, we out. Popping off these boys, cotton soft, just knock it off. From the city where they lock and run, till they drop it off. God been blessing me, that's why I got the sauce, can't stop it now. Trip like faucets, I've been flossing, think I lost it in my fault. From the trenches that I mentioned, police came, was jumping fences. Torn between the streets and music, tangled up like Jada Pinkett. Now I put my heart in pain and music, hoping that they feel it.